0: Welcome to another episode of The Artsy Raven, a show about writing and publishing with your host, J.F. Garrard. Welcome to another episode of The Artsy Raven. I am your host, J.F. Garrard, and today's episode is called Healing with Poetry. And we'll be speaking to Moni Brar, whose poem Fault Line is being published in the Belief Anthology. Moni is an uninvited settler who lives, writes, and learns on unceded, unsurrendered territories of the Treaty 7 region and the Sikhs of the Okanagan Nation. She is Punjabi, Sikh, Canadian writer exploring diasporan guilt, identity, cultural oppression, and intergenerational trauma. She believes in the possibility of personal and collective healing through literature and art. Her work appears in PRISM International, Heart House Review, Exister, and other publications. She's a member of the Alexandra Writer Centre Society, the League of Canadian Poets, and the editorial board of the New Forum magazine. She has worked in 13 countries and is grateful to call Canada home. So welcome, uh, Moni.
1: Thank you, J.F., I'm so pleased to be here.
0: <laughs> so. Why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and um, why you started writing, especially, you write mainly mainly poetry as um, your main genre, right?
1: Yes. Um, So I can tell you a bit about myself first. So I was born in rural India and my family immigrated to Canada. We first lived in northern Canada um, in a small town just north of Prince George, and then we moved to Abbotsford. Um, So... A bit about my parents' background. Um, They experienced colonization firsthand because they were born during the British Raj and lived through partition. Um, Being Punjabi and Sikh, uh, we are a religious minority in India. And then when we came to Canada, we became a visible minority here. Um, I grew up with a lot of racism, a lot of experiences around that growing up, um, both in British Columbia and even up until lately in my new life in Calgary and in the Okanagan. Um, so i have always written but i've written for myself mostly i didn't have a lot of confidence in my writing i started out writing creative nonfiction and poetry was something i dabbled in and it's something that i was very much drawn to but a bit afraid of and i didn't have a lot of confidence in my writing and in 2018 i attended a program at the time it was called the borderline's writing circle, now it's called Own Voices, and it's a program offered for emerging BIPOC writers by the Alexandra Writing Center Society and the Alberta Writers Guild. This program changed my life. It gave me so much confidence in my writing and in myself. I was matched with a mentor who is an established poet, and she really helped me believe in my poetry. And since taking that program two years ago I've really thrown myself into my writing and my poetry and like I said it's been just such a blessing that program.
0: So do you still do any more creative fiction at all or
1: nonfiction? You know it's something that I've put on the back burner but I've been thinking about it <laughs> a lot lately so it's definitely something I want to return to but right now I feel my energy is going more towards the poetry. Cool. So, like,
0: I'm reading your bio and you talk about your focus on diasporan guilt, identity, cultural expression, intergenerational trauma, like those are really heavy things. Like, why is it important for you to discuss these things in your
1: poetry? You're right, they are heavy things. (laughs) And I feel the heaviness when I'm writing and especially when I'm doing readings. these are constant, powerful forces in my life, and they manifest themselves on a daily basis in my lived experience. Um, these things like diaspora and guilt, the intergenerational trauma, um, cultural oppression—you know, being the product of a family that was colonized, marginalized—these experiences they've shaped my life and they inform my sense of who I am as a person. So, writing about these things it represents a threshold for me. And it was a long time coming. So when I started writing about these things, it was the first time I was really able to explore and flex my sense of agency and to push back against that power imbalance that I've experienced as a woman, as a person of color, as an immigrant, as a child laborer. And I feel now there's no looking back. Like it's empowered me to own those aspects of myself, unapologetically and wholly, and to address those topics that I've shied away from or have been embarrassed or filled with shame. Um, and it can be anything right now about cultural taboos around menstruation, uh, religious violence, sexual abuse, injustices.
0: I just wonder, like, have your parents ever looked at your poems? Because I know my mom says she doesn't, but I think she secretly does go on my website to check out my stuff but we've never really talked about it. Um, So I sort of wonder what she thinks about, you know, like the fact that our generation, like we're able to have an outlet and it's acceptable to say something. Because in my family, there's all this emphasis on keeping the face, right? So you never complain about anything and you just work hard and you just shut up. And um, it's almost like the whole model minority thing, right? Like, you know, you just, you're just trying to survive really. It's like, it's not like they care about a model minority with or anything, they're just trying to get by and you just don't want to cause trouble and label and stuff mm. like that, right?
1: Yeah, that's a great question and some great points you've raised. Um, for me, my mother is illiterate. She's never gone to school, so she cannot read or write Punjabi or English. My father has a functional level of English, so both of them don't have the skills to actually mm. access my poetry. But in a way, for me, it's actually been a blessing. Sometimes I feel badly and a bit sad that they can't read mm-hmm. my writing. But on the other hand, I feel that there's more freedom in my writing because I know they can't read it. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Now, that probably makes me a bad daughter.
0: <laughs> no, no, <laughs> and no. And I
1: believe a lot of that saving face type of you know, guilt that I carry and upholding the family honor, like those mm-hmm. things are mitigated a bit.
0: Yeah. So you've lived in so many countries, like how has that affected you and your work?
1: Oh, I've been very, very lucky. I've worked in 13 different countries and most definitely those experiences have shaped me and shaped my work. Um, I've worked, every country that I've worked in, with the exception of Canada, has been a developing country. So I've done a lot of humanitarian work, international development type of work, um, focusing on education and literacy, empowering people. And I have had the privilege of bearing witness to adversities and injustices that other people face. And while it's reminded me of the challenges my family's also faced as immigrants Mm -hmm. and as farmers coming from a poor region of India, it's also highlighted the great privilege that myself and my family we've had in living in in Canada. So to me, it kind of keeps me in check, but it also has helped me shed light on the continued offer that a lot of people live and those continued challenges that people face um, so for example i worked in afghanistan and the poem that's uh, published in your lovely anthology is one that's from memories i have of working in afghanistan so i was there in 2012 2013 and i went away from my time there stored with these stark, powerful images, impressions, and experiences that I had from that time. And I locked them away. I was suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder for quite a while after my experiences there. And it was only poetry, really, that allowed me to examine those and to dig up the memories and work through them. So I feel the poems are always there. They're just waiting for me to discover them.
0: Yeah, it's an outlet, in a way, for you to sort mm-hmm. of reshape some of the realities you've seen which have caused so much of your trauma, unfortunately. Um, so when after you finish a piece of poetry, where do you query, like how do you get it out into the world?
1: That's another great question. Um... Sometimes I, well, most of the time, I just like to sit with the poem. Like there's poems that I've written from several years ago that I just need to leave them. And just, they're almost too raw to even think about sending up for query. Um, a few of my poems, and now increasingly so, I'm being asked to submit. So that's, um, that feels like such a wonderful honor to be invited to submit to anthologies and to publications. Um, other queries that I have sent out, often there are magazines that I love and aspire to be in. So that's another great source um, of inspiration for me that I, yeah, there's some that are kind of dream market for me, mm-hmm. and, um, someday I'd like to be published in this journal or this lit mag.
0: So how, what are the best ways to improve your poetry writing? Like, do you take classes? Do you just keep writing every day or?
1: I do a combination of things. So I do take classes. Um, with the current state of COVID, it's made mm-hmm. a lot of classes really accessible. I've been taking lots of online type of classes. I took a fantastic course recently, and it was an asynchronous class um, and it was called Listening as Poetry, and it was phenomenal, the activities that we did, and the amount of writing that I generated from that single class was astounding like for myself, and I look back at all the ideas, and bits and pieces of poems that I was able to generate was fantastic. I also, um, I think the practice, having a writing practice is really important to develop as a writer, uh, being very, serious and considered in the way that you're approaching your writing so that's something that i try to do is i write daily whether it's a sentence or a poem or a revision of an existing poem Um, i also believe in the value of the writing community so i have joined a number of different boards and organizations and associations they have been great in terms of continuing to inspire me as well as helping me access resources access um, individuals like writers and residents and mentors and peer writing i love belonging to a number of different groups where we're just a bunch of poets that come together and we read our work to each other and then we like to respond or sometimes give feedback but you know usually it's just responding to how that poem lands with you So I think there's lots of different ways you can go about um, developing yourself as a writer.
0: Cool. Um, Do you have any techniques for writing that you like to use? Like, are you a very visual person? Like, do you have a board with pictures or does it just come and you just write it down?
1: For me, the single most valuable technique that I use is walking. I find that when I walk, it's what gives me the most inspiration it gets me into the right space i love being outside and walking helps me center my body and activate my senses i find it calms my mind and it helps me gather all of my thoughts and generate new ideas and it's something that i've heard other writers refer to as well Um, stephen king recommends it as well like taking a daily walk and it's something that I've always done. Like for the longest time, I find I'm most at peace with myself, and that's when I'm most open to creativity. Is when I walk. Cool.
0: Um, do you have any advice for new poets? Like it sounded like you gained some confidence from getting mm-hmm. a mentor. So for thing people that are just starting out, like how mm-hmm. should they go about writing poetry?
1: I have a few different things that I would recommend. Um, one is write about what's important to you don't cave in to what the recent trends are or what you feel you should be writing about write about what's important to you write for yourself and the people you want to give your poems to so those could be ancestors they could be friends they could be your network think about the people think about your audience and The landscape of writing and literature is changing so much and it's being redefined. And I feel that before there used to be a lot about, you know, a lot of discussion about the academy and the the canon when it comes to literature. And that's shifted so much in the last few years. And I just wanna tell new writers and new poets, your voice matters, your stories matter, even though they might be be drastically different than what you grew up reading, they still matter. So I would recommend finding a mentor, an experienced mentor, and use this mentor, we'll ask them for guidance, for support, for feedback, ask them what lessons they learned on their writing journey.
0: Yeah, and I know for some writers, like I've signed up for a few classes at uh, I'm your Ryerson University, okay. and usually for the first class there's like 20 people. And towards the end, there's like three people left, because it's really hard to listen to feedback sometimes, because every week you write a story, read it out loud, and and yeah, unfortunately, you know, for some, you know, you need a thick skin, like you have to know that when people critique you, like they're taking the time to do it and offering advice, it's a good thing, it's not like they're personally out to get you although sometimes it does seem that way but you know you you know you can also pick and choose right you don't have to listen to all critiques either like if you think one piece you feel very strongly the sentence really works then you know you can keep it you know you don't have to listen but you have to make a choice right so Um, can you describe a bit of your work at new form magazine
1: sure um new form It's a feminist magazine, it's based in Calgary, and it actually first started in 1988, I believe, and it was called Forum Magazine, so it's been rebranded and revitalized, and it offers a platform for local, emerging, underrepresented voices, Um, so it's a place that really calls out Two women, people of color, to trans, identified individuals, two-spirited, non-binary writers, queer writers, writer with, writers with disabilities. It's a very inclusive platform and I'm part of the acquisitions team. So I get the privilege of reading all of the submissions that come in.
0: Oh, you're the yeah. flush ball reader. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yes, it's <laughs> such a privilege. We get such fantastic submissions. Um, not just from local Calgary writers, but from across the country, mm. and we're aiming to build a supportive, collaborative literary community through New Forum, where folks can write and explore and share their their diverse experiences, the diverse aspects of feminism. Yeah. And yeah,
0: if it's yeah. If you haven't seen it, I definitely okay. It. Check it out. I'll go check it out. I mean, it's really nice in a way, like with on the internet sort of opening doors to a lot of different small publishers like myself I'm a small publisher Mm -hmm. where before like it was impossible to get distribution unless you sign like a big contract with all the bookstores Mm -hmm. and stuff right so so it's very it's changed a lot Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time there's also a lot more competition because everyone is publishing right so so it's sort of like how do you get yourself heard so all right so I believe we're to have some treats you're going to be sharing some poems today um can you let us know a little bit of context before you
1: read each piece absolutely all right so can i dive in jeff sure go ahead all right so this first piece is the piece that appears in your anthology and it was first published in rice paper it's called fault lines and this poem is a reflection on my time in Afghanistan. like I mentioned I would work there over the course of two years um, and I was very much impacted by the images of women on the streets of Kabul where I would drive uh, from my home to the office every day. Or I shouldn't say I drive I was driven <laughs> So it's called fault lines They float down the streets of Kabul, burqa-clad beings, cloaked in blue from tip to toe. They hover on the edges, less person than shape, more human than men. They stand on bullet-ridden streets, flanked by men in cars, men in masks, men with guns, tentative hands outstretched to the sky. the stars, to me. I pass by in gilded cage, eyes rarely meet, through glass, through wounded space, through countless walls built on whim and endless deceit. Driving past, you would hardly notice her, this one, with her arms crossed across taut chest, asserting a former claim, over something that no longer exists. She sits under a burnt sky, extracts sympathy, distills it into a nectar, sips it in dark corners to deaden memories of the long dead. She feels no regret, but the fault lines on her face tell another story. She cradles her grief like a lap dog that won't go away stroking its lifeless body all right so
0: i'm gonna move on yes oh i'm gonna say it was really touched me when we first were going through all the pieces like and i could see it happening and it was just so devastating but at the same time we felt it was a really good piece to share so thank
1: you yeah, I I still am haunted by images of the women. Like there are, I don't I can't remember the number now, but there's an amazing amount of women that are widowed that wander the streets of Kabul begging, and they're you know covered in burqas and they're just going from car to car begging, and it's just it's heartbreaking. It's one of those images that will always stay with me.
0: Yeah, I mean, sometimes I look at my son and he's just playing with his toys and I'm just like, we're so lucky, Mm
1: -hmm. you know,
0: to be in this quiet place where we're living and Mm -hmm. he can play in peace, you know, and uh, not worry about someone bombing our condo or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So
1: I'm going to move on to the next piece. I just uh, do want to warn, uh, content warning here that there is some references to abuse and uh, violence. This next piece um, was published by Crape and Penn Quarterly, and it talks about intergenerational trauma's effects on my family. Um, So it's again, another darker, kind of heavier poem, but to me, this is an important poem And I'm gonna stop talking there and read it. So it's called Caught Stealing. My father stole some pens from a grocery store one summer, a pack of six, I think, medium tip bicks. He cried when he was arrested, couldn't explain why he'd done it, but he could easily explain the shame, that unthinkable shame of others finding out. He picked at a need to have new things and got caught. My mother stole my sister's life, bottled it up and set it on a shelf in an unused room. There are smudges of her short life on the windowsill where the daffodils die. Just like her, they leave behind a soft buttery glow. My sister is long gone, but my mother is made of dense matter. In her hand she cradles neptune and in her heart a thousand black holes my uncle stole my youth with his hard mouth that soured me for human touch he ground out my body and my will to live with his rot both took years to rebuild cell by cell brick by want now i hold memories in the soft creases behind my knees while the rusted knots in my belly thicken remind me my body was not meant to do that. This next piece was published in Exister Journal of Arts and Literature and this piece I think back to my ancestors. Um, So I'd say probably back to my my grandparents and my great-grandparents who lived through the British Raj, who saw firsthand the effects of partition. So this is a reflection on that and how those ripples from that time, they still touch my life and my parents' lives.
0: Did they talk to you about what happened, your grandparents?
1: My grandparents know, and I think I was too young at that to to understand and even have those conversations. Um, And my parents, they hesitantly talk Mm -hmm. about those times. Yeah, Uh, I think it's still hard to think back to those times and the terror that they saw. Yeah. Yeah. So this poem is called "Legacies of the Colonized." It's not like that. There were soft things lapping at our ankles, uncountless, unbidden treasures before you showed up. There was hope and wild peacocks on our rooftop, waiting for handfuls of grain raining upwards in the sky. There was joy, as slight as a young Nem tree, a smooth melancholy before your booted heel ground us down then you left not in one fell swoop but by slowly plucking the tender tissue of our entwined lives you planted self-loathing in places deep as boreholes filling us with a warm thick hate that just won't quit my father beats my mother religiously after temple leaves marks like birthmarks, but they're nothing like them. So the last two pieces that I'm going to read are about resistance and resilience. And this is the shift that I'm seeing in my work. I feel my early work was a lot around um, exploring the pain and the trauma, that darkness. And more recently, I actually took a class recently, it was called Race, Resistance and Poetry. And I'm starting to think more deeply and now about what resistance means to me and what resilience means to me and what empowerment means to me. And those themes are starting to bubble up in my poetry. So this piece was recently published in Litstream Magazine And it's called The Art of Being Real. I'm told to write book club books. Books that will sell. With topics that Karens can relate to. With characters that Reese can play. With with worlds that are easy to imagine. And homes that are just so. I'm told to write sonnets with metaphors and imagery and similes and shit like that. But don't you know I come from the land of guzzles, kirtan, and mantras that make a sonic boom in your cosmic universe? I come from poets who wrote books as thick as your waist descend from women who couldn't write but could recite songs and stories handed down 14 generations. From men who punched holes through mud walls and women for 14 generations. I wrote stories about Nem branches, slender people trees, and thali saplings. I won't write about the softness of larch or whispering pines or young aspen as straight as a white man's back. Instead, I'll run into this poem full tilt, a la Salman Rushdie. I'll gather up all of Midnight's Children to peer through perforated bedsheets. To write poems of people mirroring nations and people who were nationless. I'll run full tilt to throw my hands into vats of mango, lime, and ginger pickles, to swim neck deep in spices and temples. I'll run full tilt to tell you I'm tired of being a mind reader and let this smile slip from my face and land at your feet. I'll let my arms hang loose like a scarecrow's but not as scared crows and practice the art of being real.
0: Oh, I love that one. that's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Thank
1: you. <laughs> you know, I have to give a, a shout out to a poet. Um, her name is Cobra Collins and she's from Calgary and she's Métis and she's a spoken word um, artist and she writes the most beautiful poetry and I'm a big fan so whenever I go to a a reading here and she's she's on or she was on stage and now I see her online and she reads I'm always so inspired because she kind of lights the fire in my belly and I went up to her this is when I first met her and I went up to her and I was gushing I said oh Cobra I just love your poetry and she said Moni it comes from rage and I was astounded I was like wow it comes from rage. So in that last poem, I feel like I'm channeling some of my rage. (laughs) That's
0: true. I do my best work when I'm angry sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
1: And this last piece, JF, that I'm gonna read. um, So this poem, it was originally published by Prism International and it was selected by the League of Canadian Poets uh, as one of the poems for the poem in your pocket day as part of National Poetry Month and it's available for download on the League of Canadian Poets uh, website as as a beautiful little postcard. And it's called What You Want Doesn't Matter. When you ask me, where are you from? Do you want me to say I'm from a crushed clove, the husk of a coconut, coriander dust, the swell of the water buffalo's belly, the ocean's lust for the moon. When you ask me again, I won't answer. Instead, I'll say, I have a peacock in my pocket. Tucked among old stories, nesting in lint, feeding on crumbs and little lies, I gently push down its throat. There you go. Well, thank you very much
0: for uh sharing your poetry with us and talking to us here.
1: Oh, you're very welcome.
0: <laughs> now your poem fault line will be published in the Belief Anthology, and I believe people can find you on Twitter and Facebook.
1: And uh, Instagram uh, and
0: Facebook, yes. Oh, Instagram and Facebook. And your poetry, I know when I Google your name, it's all over the place. So people <laughs> your poetry there. All right, thank
1: you very much. Well, oh thank bye. You. thanks. Take care.
0: For more upcoming episodes of The Artsy Raven about writing and publishing, visit us at jfgarard.com slash podcast. A reminder to Patreon subscribers that there is bonus content available for every episode on the Patreon website. If you enjoyed the show, you can show your appreciation by buying us some digital coffee. The Artsy Raven is produced by J.F. Garrard. The voice in the show's introduction is Chris Gorman and music is by Tim Moore. Thank you for tuning in. Until next time, stay safe.